This is Kristen Hedgecock. And I'm Ash Matson. You're listening to Apta Sophia, which means useful wisdom in the pursuit of biblical womanhood. This is the first inaugural episode of Apta Sophia. This is specifically designed for Christian women, pulling wisdom directly from scripture and working through how we can apply these truths to our lives. We have a ton of stuff that we would love to hash out with you. Um, With that, I'm your host, Kristen Hedgecock, and I'm here with my co-host. Ash Matson. hello. We are so excited to have you here with us. Um, Before we jump into the meat of this first episode, we want to introduce ourselves to you. So who aren't we, Kristen? We ain't your daddy. We ain't your daddy. And we ain't your husband. We ain't your husband either. And we're not your pastor. Nope. And we are not the mediator between you and your Bible. We encourage you to be comparing all that we say to the Word of God. And if you're struggling with something, please bring your concerns to the actual teaching authorities the Lord has placed in your life. We're just two ladies with some microphones. This is meant to be supplementary for you. (laughs) So, Kristen, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure. So, um, I have been married for 15 years. And to a wonderful man that God just, like, plucked just and created just for me. I'm so happy about that. And I have four kids, and they oh, keep me busy. That is for sure. But they are such a blessing to my life. And I have always believed in God, um, thanks to my grandma, my grandparents, And they always took us to church. We would visit, my sister and I would visit them in the summers. And they just showered scripture over us and took us to church every Sunday. And my grandma played the piano. So we were always singing worship songs and just their whole home. So I just always, always grew up believing in the Lord and loving the Lord. I made the profession of faith when I was about 11 at church camp, uh, where I, you know, where I said the sinner's prayer. Um, So I don't know. And that was a long time ago because I'm old now. Um. Girl, I am too close to you in age for you to say that you're old. You got to stop that. When You're like in five five years years when you're old like me. In five years, I am not going to be old. I'm going to be in my prime. I know. Um, so occupation, uh, we have these list of words to, or list of, list of lists, uh, list of things. I'm good at that. I'm good at lists yeah, for Ash lists. Yeah, Ash is super good at creating lists for lists. Um, that is her spiritual gift. It's in there in 3 Corinthians somewhere yep. in the Bible, your spiritual gift. Um So this is always a tricky one for me to answer because I do a little bit of everything. I, like I said, I have four kids, so they are my, you know, main priority. I have a husband. He is my other main priority. Um, I homeschool um, for my kids or all four of them. And I also work part time outside the home. We're going to, we're working. We are working on it. We're we're good. I know. I know. We're going to go over that in one of our episodes. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll, I'll learn a thing or two. Um, but I, yeah, I'm a labor and delivery nurse. So I work part-time at that and love doing all of my jobs that God has called me to do for sure. So that's a little bit about me. She's a vet. She brings babies into the world. Yes. That's amazing. I was thinking when you said you're a vet, like I'm a vet. Like a veterinarian. I was like, no, no, honey, that's not, not that kind of labor and delivery. <laughs> I do no, have a lot of animals. Is. No, you're a vet LD nurse. <laughs> yeah. You're the top dog. <laughs> I do have a lot of animals that would probably qualify me yeah, for that. Yeah, you event. did just deliver. And some I kittens. did just deliver two set, two litters of kittens. Thank you, COVID, for closing your spay and neuter clinics. Um. <laughs> you wanted it. You wanted okay, it. Okay, secretly, I kind of wanted it. Yeah. But. Cool. So I'm Ash. I've been married for almost 10 years now. I'm a mom of soon to be. Well, not soon to be. Not soon to be. It counts. It counts. I'm very, very pregnant right now. There is a person in there. When you're listening to this, 
Lord willing, this baby will be on the outside of my body. If she's not, we're going to have some serious medical issues. But I am mom to four. Four little babies, Earthside, soon to be Earthside, and one with Jesus. And um, I have two boys and two girls, ages five, two, in the womb. And um, I've been a Christian for about 11 years. 11, almost 10, almost 11 years. Yeah. So I became a believer when I was 23 years old. I was on some crazy YouTube conspiracy theory video wormhole (laughs) binge watching (laughs) session and came across some really dispensational uh, apologetic videos that were telling me who was the Antichrist and how nice. biblical prophecy had been fulfilled, specifically surrounding Israel coming into her own land again, having her language restored to her. And and that, by God's grace, brought me into some more serious academic documentaries about, <laughs> about biblical archaeology and apologetics. And I was just out of nowhere convinced of the truth of Scripture, but I had no idea what was there. And the idea that I had about the gospel pretty much meant what most of us know as you do enough good to cancel out the bad. And if you're not doing that, God's really, really angry with you. So I knew I was not in his good graces. And that terrified me because this God exists and I'm his enemy. So before I even cracked open a Bible, I was like, well, I should probably call myself a Christian and start acting like a Christian. And as white bread as I sound. I I actually <laughs> really love hip-hop and rap music, and I have forever. And I was listening to some really awful, raunchy stuff, so I was like, well, I should probably listen to Christian, Christian radio. I don't know if you've ever had a taste of Christian radio, and if you are someone who loves it, bless your heart. I'm sorry that I'm about to say this, but the first time I listened to it, I could not get through five minutes. I was horrified. And questioning if I had made the right decision. So I was like, I wonder if there is Christian hip-hop. And lo and behold, if you do not know that this world exists, please look into it. Um, And by God's grace, I actually got into listening to some more reformed, solid, theologically sound uh, Christian hip-hop artists and not just, you know, radio, radio stuff. So that is how I heard the gospel for the first time before I even got into a church. And God kind of slow cooked me from there. So I was already um, ingesting some solid reform theology then and just progressively um, continued to reform until I became a Presbyterian. And that's how I met my girl Kristen here. She's an elder's wife. She's one of the higher ups. See, I'm (laughs) old. (laughs) Elder sounds old. Yes. Sounds old. Um. Unless you're Mormon, then you're yeah. You're usually a, a whip or snapper. There you go. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, so that's how I met Kristen, and we've been going to church together for about five years. And occupation, oh my goodness. I've done all kinds of things. Everything. I worked in the apparel industry for eight years. I went to school for fashion design, got a job outside of school, and worked on um, men's apparel as a technical designer. Uh, for outerwear and stuff like that for one particular company. And then got out of that. I've run a home daycare. I also do freelance graphic design. And right now I'm pretty much just focusing on my kids and pretending to start to homeschool them. (laughs) That's kind of where we're at right now. They are always learning. They're always learning. You You know, I tell this to people. You taught them an entire language that they did not know. You taught them English. Like, they speak. Like, you taught them that. Like, they are always learning. Hey. Right? You taught them a language. You totally get credit for that. Hmm. You taught them how to speak and how to talk. And Baker tonight. (laughs) Yes, please. So my two two kids, I have to limit them to one question apiece. My oldest, when I go to bed, I say, you each get one question. What is your question? Make it good. Because we're not talking about pancakes or birthdays after this. 
And now my 18-month-old, I went in to grab him and, and make sure he was cool because he was having a little bit of a hard time. And he say he says, I ask you, I ask you, he's mm-hmm. trying to ask yeah. me because he hears his brother and sister saying, can I ask you a question? Yeah. So I don't know if I can take credit for that or if I want to because that's kind of the opposite <laughs> of my goal there. But um, all right, so let's talk about some fun ways that we're alike. Some, like, warm and fuzzy ways that we're alike. Yeah, so these are the things that Ash and I kind of bond over because we're kind of socially awkward people. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Yeah. Um, so it's amazing that we are even friends because I don't think if we hadn't bonded over these things, we wouldn't have ever, like, talked to each other even though Jesus. we belong to the same small church. <laughs> um. We would have... We would have been, like, on opposite walls in a room, just, like, people watching one another without ever talking. So, people watching, that is one. Um, So, neither one of us enjoy hugs, so please don't hug us. No. I will hug you if I know that you really, really need it. Yes. But I cannot promise that I will enjoy it. Yes. Um, I will hug you if somebody's died or if I haven't seen you in a really, really long time. Those are pretty much like those are genuine hugs. Those are like I'm a good hugger. I'm just very like they need to mean something. Like I just am not loose, loosey goosey with my hugs. <laughs> You're calling huggers loose? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, if the shoe fits, but if it doesn't, just take it off and throw it at me. It's indecent. It's, That's what you're trying to say. It's it's like meet have it mean something. Don't just hug to hug. Yeah. Like have some meaning behind it. Yeah, we don't snuggle. We're grown-ups. We don't snuggle. Grown-up snuggle still. No, not this girl. Non-related. Okay. All right. Um what else? We don't enjoy small talk. Nope. So if you want to know, like what we did that day or anything it's nothing we're just like so where are you at spiritually in your walk with God (laughs) like that's pretty much like the first opening question that we are you still struggling with sin right yeah so tell me about that one sin that you confessed to me last week like how are you Mm -hmm. doing with that or yeah yeah we just you know (laughs) perpetuates our um, social awkwardness by not having friends (laughs) We are both a fan of tough love. Yep. Um, We love you, but we're going to be tough. We're more likely to kick you in the butt than pat you on the back. Yep, for sure. Which unfortunately means, or fortunately, that some of you are just going to love us. Some of you are going to be mad sometimes. So put your seatbelt on. Welcome to the show. (laughs) All right. So each week, we're going to answer a fun personal question so you can learn more about us. And we're going to ask you the same on social media because we want to learn more about you. So here's our question for next week. You really got to think this out because we're going to have some heated debate on the social medias. Would you rather know the history of every object you touched or be able to talk to animals? So we're going we're gonna to tackle this one, this very important, crucial, crucial question next week or on our next podcast episode and we want to hear from you uh so please find us on facebook twitter instagram let us know what you think about that also if you get through the episode and you have questions or comments or if you have some random topic request please let us know uh you can also find us at aptasophia podcast at gmail.com so let's get into the real deal here We open the show saying that this podcast is directed towards Christian women. So when we dive into each of these topics, any of them, we are assuming the authority of scripture and the truth of the gospel. We want to be really, really clear about what that means. We are declaring with certainty the existence of the triune God of scripture. By triune, we mean that this God exists in one essence, one nature, power, and purpose, and three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Each person is co-equal and co-eternal. So, three persons, one God. Our God is the creator and sustainer of all that exists. 
All things were made through him and for him, to glorify him, to obediently and joyfully serve him. That means you and me. That's our purpose. And he is worthy. God is holy, perfect, pure, righteous, just. He is the very definition of good. When God created man, he made them in his image and set them over all he had made to rule and subdue it. The first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, chose to defy God by eating fruit from the tree he had set apart as forbidden to them. In their rebellion, sin and death entered into creation and the nature of men was corrupted. As descendants of Adam, we are naturally drawn towards the things that are contrary to God. We are naturally rebellious and hostile to him. We break his law continually. This law defines for us what is good and what is evil. We will be held accountable for every evil word we speak, thought we think, feeling we feel, every hidden motive, every impure action. And when we stand before God, our judge, at the end of our lives, we will be rightly condemned. If our plea before him is our own merit, We all face his eternal wrath as the just penalty for our sin. There is no amount of good we could ever do to cancel out the bad. But God so loved the world that he sent his only son to put on flesh and live among his own creation in a world full of rebels and traitors so that his son could keep the law perfectly in the place of those he would purchase by his death and resurrection. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, was brutally, publicly murdered when he was hung on a cross among thieves. And in that moment, as he hung there, God the Father poured out the wrath that we deserve for our sin upon his own Son, so that the debt of his people would be canceled and would never again be held against them in his court. Jesus was buried, and three days later he was resurrected, He appeared privately to his disciples and publicly among hundreds of people and was ascended to heaven where he sits now at the right hand of the Father, having all authority and power and dominion, putting all of his enemies under his feet. He has purchased a people for himself through his life, death, and resurrection. We are his people, and he is our king. If you are listening to this, I hope you can say the same. We receive this salvation, this redemption, as a free gift. It is by God's grace alone that we are saved, that we are made to turn to him. It is by faith alone that we are saved, by repenting of our sin and putting our trust in the finished work of Jesus. There is nothing we can do to earn our way. Jesus is the only way. Salvation is by Christ alone. He said, no one comes to the Father but by me. And all of this... And every good thing that comes to pass is to God's glory alone. Beyond this, as we said before, we believe the Bible is the word of God, that every word is inspired, infallible, breathed out by the Holy Spirit. It is our only rule of faith and practice. No further revelation is needed. It is sufficient to equip the man or woman of God for every good work. And that's it in a nutshell. Thank you so much for just laying that out for everybody. And it's so important, and it might seem like, why did we go through the time to do that? But it will become more and more apparent why we wanted to lay a really strong foundation for what we're basing our opinions on, because we are constantly going to be calling you ladies back to Scripture. And if you want to challenge anything that is said, like we're going to ask you to proof text it. So if you have any questions about the gospel that Ash just laid out, you can uh, reach out to us via email um, at aptosophiapodcast at gmail.com, and uh, we would love to talk to you more about the gospel. Let's go ahead and dig into this week's discussion. We thought that we would kind of lay the foundation for our whole entire podcast and kind of use these next few weeks as a springboard to talk about the specific commission given to women in scripture and how we pursue aptosophia in various life stages and circumstances. Essentially, what is the work that is uniquely set before us as women? 
Um, so we're going to dive into the way we are to approach this work in regards to our attitude and our character and kind of go into depth. So this week, we are going to start with what seems to be a very basic question. Um, it's a very direct question, but one that just is muddled with a lot of confusion in our current culture. And so we wanted to bring some clarity um, because that is what God is. He is truth and he is clarity and he sheds light on things that are dark. Um, he's not the author of confusion. He is the author of truth. And so how can we know that we are women? How can we know what that means or what it is supposed to look like objectively? Is being male or female or neither something that we get to decide? And it sounds obvious and it might seem strange that we're choosing to start here, but let's talk a little bit about where our culture is currently in this discussion. The popular cultural perspective is that gender is not determined biologically or anatomically. It's not that simple. Rather, a person's biological makeup is their sex. And a person's gender is decided or revealed by the individual separately based on some feeling or intuition. For example, a person can be born biologically or anatomically male and claim to be female in gender. Someone might identify as one particular gender for the duration of their life, or they may be gender fluid, which means that their gender may change several times throughout their life. It's complicated, y'all. The genders that we're speaking of in this modern cultural context are not limited to male or female either. No. That is what we're going to focus on in this discussion. But there's something like 58 different gender identities on something called the gender spectrum. This is all continually, yeah. continually evolving and developing because it's entirely subjective. <clears throat> so, like I said, for the duration of this discussion, we're going to primarily focus on those who identify either as male or female, which would be called gender binary. We're throwing out these terms so that you can understand what some of these things mean if you hear people talking about them out in the culture. Regardless of where you're at or where you stand currently, these are things that we're going to have to interact with and know how to answer in our culture. And these are things that can trip us up. If we're listening to the wrong people or we're being influenced by the wrong things, these could trip up your own children. So we do encourage you to do your own research beyond this. If you want to get into the full gender spectrum, it's pretty extensive. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff there. <laughs> so, and if you're confused, just wait, just wait. There's more to this because it's highly unlikely that someone from the sphere of thinking is going to be satisfied with our definitions, the things that I just gave you. Because objective definitions on things like sex or gender or sexuality are contrary to the idea that each individual person is entirely in control of what is meant when any of these terms are used in reference to themselves. So even when it comes to gender fluidity or gender fluid, you're encouraged to go and ask the person individually, what does that mean to you? Each of these terms, regardless of what, what you might find on the internet, you're going to have to ask each person individually in order to know what they're specifically talking about because they are the definers of truth here. So, Kristen, in comparison to this, what is the biblical perspective? The biblical perspective would be that there is no distinction between um, a person's sex and their gender. They are together as one. But God has created each person as either female or male. And this is determined biologically and anatomically. And, you know, for what it's worth, I hear the naysayers now saying, what about... Bleh. Um, so I'll be the naysayer. Yeah. Naysayer. What about what about intersex individuals, Kristen? What about people that are born with um, a confusion in their chromosomes or their hormones or their genitalia or their reproductive or organs where we can't tell easily whether they're male or female biologically or anatomically? Right, right. How do we answer that? Right. And so I would say today, right now, um, not going to do it. Um, <laughs> we don't. <laughs> we don't. Uh, that is a very difficult topic that I honestly wouldn't really feel comfortable navigating, but it also is um, representative of just a very small percentage of what is actually going on. 
what is actually happening in the culture in the world is like, is I am born a female and I have the female genitalia and I have the female anatomical features. I feel like I can relate more to men or I feel like I could be a man or a woman or what, you know, whatever the opposite of your natural biology is. So though that is really what we want to be focused on. I know this seems like we're kind of sidestepping this issue. It's just a completely different issue. What we do want to stress is that even those people have a purpose and a calling. Even those people are fearfully and wonderfully made. And based on individual um, circumstances, I think my if I were being asked to counsel, be, you know, a counselor to somebody, which I would decline the job because that's above my pay grade. <laughs> but um, yeah, I would say that I would have to know more specifics about the person and just kind of go from there. It's really hard to broad brush. And those decisions are generally made very early on between medical professionals, right. the doctors and the families to assign the gender there because it is a biological anatomical scientific right. issue and the the range yeah the range of what that might look like within that 1.7 percent mm-hmm. or however small it is is so different it could be very straightforward it could be yeah. very complicated and so yeah we are not medical professionals but the issue is well not a medical well you okay all right a, girl all right you I don't got have more, MD you after. Got some more knowledge than I do I don't over have there. MD right. after my name that is for sure and that this again mm-hmm. above my way above <laughs> my pay grade I just insulted you, you just we ins- are not medical professionals we are not I'm like hey hey you got a mouse in your pocket or what? but the difference no, there kidding. is it can be handled by a medical professional sure. because it's a directly medical issue for sure so yeah. to the other 99.999% of the people who we are actually talking about. Um, so in Genesis 1.27, um, it's very, very clear that I'm just going to read the verse. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them both. Um, so, I mean, there you have it. It's very cut and dry. That's the word of God. And the reason why it's important as we'll address in this episode a little bit and touch on in other episodes, um, both men and women image him in a unique and distinct way. They both have very distinctual callings. The foundational purpose in being created as a woman is to glorify God and reflecting and imaging him uniquely in the world. This objective goal for our gender is the very thing that gives it objective beauty. God is intimately and totally and completely involved, not only in the creation of each person, um, but also forming them in the womb and ordaining every single year, month, day, week, minute, second, everything. There are no accidents. Nothing happens outside his control. And honestly, that's comforting. You know, I was talking to a kiddo and he's just like, I am so worried and I just don't even know what to think. And I'm like, about what? What's what, you know, tell me what's going on. And he's like, I don't know what gender I am or who I'm supposed to love. I was just like, huh, okay, well, tell me more about this. So he's telling me about all what they were taught at this middle school level. And so, you know, we just kind of had a conversation about this very thing. And I'm like, you know what? It's so cool because God already has this all figured out for you. He created you a particular gender, and so he has a particular call. He has you to have particular affections for a particular person or people or group of people. And you don't even have to, like, worry about this. Like, this is just not even something that even has to be on your radar. And he was so relieved that he didn't have to worry about what he was or what he wasn't or who to love or who to marry. It just was all like, well, you don't have to worry about that. God took that off your plate because he created you um, a certain sex and a certain gender, and this is the way he ordered it. And then, you know, off he went on his merry little way. And, um, yeah, I think we can just bind our consciences so much by trying to pretend to be Lord 
And that's what I really think is what is going on here. And the closer that we look at scripture, we realize <laughs> that we are not Lord and that we realize that actually nothing is really in control or we have control over nothing. Um, so I just want you to consider Psalms 139, 13 through 16. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. Did you catch that? In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So, I mean, that's just kind of our proof text here, that God is in control of, of everything. He's in control mm -hmm. of our days. He's in control of our hours. He's in control of our breaths. Like nothing happens apart from, and nothing happens apart from him. And if he's so in, if he's so intimately involved in the formation of our body, and he is so intimately involved in the plans that he has for our lives, how is he not so intimately involved in the gender and the sex um, and the role and the purpose that he calls us to be. I'm just think I'm thinking on the comparison here between the culture's definition, sex and gender, all the varying genders, all the different ways that you can relate to gender or choose not to relate to gender, mm -hmm. and the very straightforward, clear, one-sentence definition that we're able to pull out from Scripture in regards to how can we know? It's it's so wonderful that God is, I, I mean, in, in Corinthians it says that God is not the author of confusion. Right. But of peace. Right. And it may seem like there's freedom in this subjectivity. Mm-hmm. Nobody's, nobody's telling you what you have to be. Right. But ultimately, it just leads to aimlessness and doubt and and there's no starting place there right and being burdened by it like this young kid was truly truly visibly burdened by the fact that you know that he had to figure it out and that's not a burden that was ever meant to be placed on us that was not a job that god gave us <laughs> he didn't say be fruitful and multiply and take over the earth and subdue it and then figure out what you all are so you can figure out what your role and calling is. Right. Like that is not part of the <laughs> overarching um, commission to, um, to mankind. Right. In that worldview, you don't begin life knowing who you are or what your purpose is. Each person is just dropped into this world of confusion and their ultimate task in life is to look inward to find themselves. So you could spend your entire life working towards the starting line without any guarantee of having a chance to be fruitful outwardly by moving past this phase of self-discovery. So in some views, once you find yourself too, that self or identity could fundamentally change without warning. So you lose your spot at the starting line. Everything you do inevitably centers around your goal of finding yourself. It's this very inward focus, just collapsing in on yourself type of life. Right. Because you're, there's no guarantee you're ever going to get to the point where you can even be expressing yourself outwardly right. or, yeah. in a productive way. And even yeah. when you are, it's all to the end goal of finding yourself. It's just right. this, this selfishness. There's no such thing as selflessness in that view. And that's the foundation that they're standing on. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. how much of, of this constitutes their identity? It's not right. just this is a side thing. It's, it's a whole life's journey. Right. To discover who you are, who you are. Yeah. You can never wise. you can never know truth when that truth is constantly changing. Right. You can never know it. So how could like, that just seems like such a uh man, what a load to carry through life of like, well, I don't really know what 
what I am. I don't really know what my identity is. I don't even know how to know that. If we're just basing it all on subjectivity in our own selves, like, are we, are we truthful with ourselves? Like, are we, like, how are our, how are our feelings? How are, what does the Bible say about our hearts? And are they always truthful? Is our heart always truthful and honest with ourselves? No, like scripture says the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Right. Where there's where there's no standard of right. And that right. what what you were speaking of, I, I could I could hear people, some people potentially saying, you know, well, you told that kid, well, God figured it out for you, so you don't have to worry about it. And that mm-hmm. sounds trite. Yeah. But but fundamentally, as far as the undergirding in the worldview goes, if there's no right way, if there's no no clear truth laid out, everything you spend your life pursuing can very suddenly turn into the wrong thing. It could be the right thing for a split second, right. and then it's gone. Right. There's, there is this peace and this freedom in having it defined for you, having there be a right mm-hmm. way. It's a blessing. It right. seems it seems almost too simplistic, but it's it's not. It's this really deep, beautiful thing that God gives us, this gift that we can start our lives knowing exactly who we are and exactly what our purpose is, and then we can walk in that. And we don't have to be inwardly focused. We don't have to be obsessed with discovering ourselves. We can be outwardly focused serving the people around us and walking in obedience to God. And that's where there's joy. This like inward focus, obsession with self is torturous. We don't even realize it in the moment, but it's, it just sucks us dry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How would you respond to somebody? Cause I'm hearing this now, like I can't help it. Like God made me this way. God made me this way. I have these feelings. Or I have this body, and I don't feel like I belong in this body. Like, how would you, what What would your response be to somebody who's like, I just can't help. I just can't help the way I'm feeling. I just feel like, even though I have these things on the outside of my body, like, how does God, God just made, he made me to be a woman, but feel like a man or he made me to be a man and feel like a woman or he made me, you know, all the things. That's making God responsible for your own sin. It's making him the author of sin or the tempter of persons almost. Mm-hmm. Um, you could you could use the same question in order to justify any sin because ultimately when you're saying, I was born with the body of a woman, and accordingly, I've been commissioned to live in a specific way and have specific roles and approach those roles and those tasks and those duties um, according to the character that God calls me to in Scripture. However, I feel a different way. Therefore, I will not do those things. Mm-hmm. And instead, I'm going to turn and I'm going to pursue my own idea about what manhood might look like. Right. You know, that's that's sin. That's sin that I think our culture wants to make that person a victim. And it's easy to excuse our sin when we victimize ourselves, but we know the truth. So what the person is saying is, God is responsible for my sin, and I can't help it. Therefore, I'm just going to continue in it. And there's nothing in Scripture that validates that perspective. It's completely contrary to Scripture. You are accountable for your sin. And not only does it make you guilty before the Father, it robs you of the joy and the peace and the fruitfulness of what he intends for you. God's law is for our good. So you may feel like you're doing what's best for yourself, but 
not only are you are you wronging, are you living in rebellion and hostility towards the one that created you? Not only do you deserve justice and wrath for that because it's sin, it's wickedness. You're robbing yourself of every good thing that he intends for you in commanding that you walk in a different way. But that seems really overbearing. That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) He's commanding us to do something. Like what authority does he have to do that? He has all authority. God, God created us. He created everything. He, I mean, oh my goodness. He bears with us through all of our sin and does not crush us. He gives us breath. He gives us life in spite of how we sin against him every day, even I as a Christian. Do you think God, I mean, I know God is God, but do you think that maybe he, like, made a mistake in how he, like, molded me or shaped, like? No, God is perfect. His plan is perfect. His plan for each of us is perfect. And that plan may involve, no, there's no may. It will involve hardship. Mm -hmm. We live in a broken world. We have a broken nature, a broken sinful nature that we are going to have to spend our lives fighting and denying so that we can walk in the way that God calls us to. It's an uphill battle. The verse that comes to mind here is from Romans 9. And this is, the context is a little bit different as far as, this is really speaking to um, election. Mm-hmm. Salvation. Salvation, yeah. predestination. However, the principle still stands. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Well, what is molded, say to its molder. And this is the part I want to pull out. Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? And the honorable and dishonorable here is not is not directly pertaining to um, what we're speaking of here in gender identity and, and that sort of thing or the commission of our gender in particular. However, God has a right over us as his creation to fashion us in any way he sees fit. And he does not make mistakes. There is a purpose and a perfect purpose in every single thing that he does. There's nothing is arbitrary. Nothing is meaningless. Everything is connected to his ultimate goal. So my older son, he's 11. He joined a Bible quiz team. Our learning and memorizing is Matthew. So I thought in support of him um, to read Matthew. And this is, you know, kind of to piggyback on what you were saying about, like, how God just intimately um, is connected to um, human sexuality and, and reproduction and, like, has a specific purpose for his creation. For those of you who have not read Matthew recently, the first chapter of Matthew is all the genealogies and it's um, three or four sets of 14 different genealogies. So my son is working on, you know, memorizing, you know, Abraham, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of um, Isaac, Isaac, the father of this person and this person, the father of this person. It's all the genealogies. And so as I was preparing for this episode, I was just listening to him recite all of these things. And I remember, and still, as of recent history, it's like, why does God put these boring genealogies in the Bible? Why do they matter? And then it dawned on me as I was sitting there listening to him recite, and this person was the father of this person, and this person was the father of this person, and this person was gave birth to these two people and these two people gave birth to this and this is the son of this and I realized that wow here is a prime example of how God um, intimately orchestrates and purposes people according to their gender (laughs) so 
you know, I was just talking to my kids of like, why do you think that these are, why do you think this is in here? This, this seems so boring. So why do you think? And, you know, they were just like, oh, so you could look at a timeline of Jesus, which I thought that was actually a really clever answer that I hadn't even thought of myself, which is, hello, why I homeschool, because honestly, my kids teach me so much. Um, but, you know, then I like told them, like, God cares about the little, like, so many things. If you know the story of Ruth, if you know the story of Tamar, if you know the story of, um, uh, of Rahab, and you know, like so many things had to be orchestrated and had to happen in order for that couple to hook up and Ruth and Boaz to hook up. And, um, you know, like so many things had to happen. Famines had to happen. Like there's like God is so intimately involved in his creation. Um, anyway, it was just a really cool, I don't know if that makes sense, but it was just a really cool thing to kind of draw out of a boring genealogy that I had never even considered before if I hadn't been, if I hadn't had this like topic uh, on my mind. And I don't know, I just thought I would bring, if you are ever wondering the use of genealogies, please think about this. Such a great observation. And this example really emphasizes this direct connection between sex and gender. And as a pattern in the language and the narrative of the rest of scripture, a person's gender is not spoken of as something separate from anatomy. It's consistently framed within the context of marital union, procreation, progeny. It's the creation of subsequent generations. So let's talk about some of the implications of the cultural perspective. We kind of touched on this a little bit earlier as far as you don't really begin life knowing who you are, what your purpose is. It's a lot of confusion, a lot of inward focus. But beyond that, this, this view is fundamentally rooted in the idea that God is not involved at all compared to what we're talking about here, that God is not involved at all or is not directly involved, kind of like he, he winds up the, the mechanisms of the world and then walks away and, mm-hmm. and everything happens by chance beyond that. He's just kind of stepping back and seeing what happens which has all kinds of issues right. on its own in that God is learning and right. is not, is not sovereign. We could yeah, get into like, all oh, wow, kinds this is of a really issues with that. interesting experiment that I have given no thought to, you know, putting these people together. Like right. that's just goes against like the very nature of God and who we see his, how we see his character played out in scripture. Another really serious issue that I wanted to mention uh, before we move on is that This view is built on this idea that the real you is entirely disconnected from your body in a way that grossly devalues and debases and degrades the body. It's it's the view that allows us to say the way you use or treat your body is of little consequence or the way that you use and treat the bodies of others is of little consequence. You're just the sack of flesh and bones that your spirit is inhabiting and using. There's, this is not a biblical perspective at all. Humans are not strictly spiritual. The way that we use and treat our bodies and the bodies of others matters very much to God. There's dignity and honor connected to the human body, and we're told that this very body that we inhabit is going to be resurrected after death and glorified. Mm-hmm. Our maleness and our femaleness, which is directly connected to the physical, follows us into the resurrection. So these two views are so diametrically opposed and the separation between the body and the spirit and the devaluing of the body and the glorification of the spiritual other person causes so many issues philosophically and practically. A really good book uh, that dives into this is Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. Um, so let's, Kristen... I got a question for you. Yes, ma'am. Am I being kept, though, from something that would be better for me when God says, no, you were born female, you cannot be a male. Am I being kept from some greater good? Is he being mean to me? (laughs) Probably. No, just teasing. No. (laughs) (laughs) No. I mean, again, this seems so simplistic because you're like, well, of course not. Because God is God and God wants what's good for me. And, you know, 
of course not. But we feel that way, right? Yeah, we feel like, well, if maybe I could just switch gender roles, or maybe if I could just do this, or maybe he made a mistake. I mean, the short answer is no. God is not keeping you from anything better. He created male and female equal. He created them both. He created them both in his image. Neither one is better. And we, I think, want to tend to look at men in their roles and be like, oh man, I'm so jealous. Uh, There is no greater good for you than to walk in obedience to your creator and seeking to walk in rebellion against what he has revealed in your life is just a recipe for disaster and unrest and confusion and uh, a lack of peace. And we see this in people who um, try to do this. I mean, suicide rates among people who sign up for the gender reassignment surgery because they feel like they're in the wrong bodies and have that surgery done. The suicide rates are off the chart and there are several doctors. Um, I can't think of the name of it. Maybe I'll have to go back. Um, But who quit practicing uh, that because they had an 80% suicide rate among their patients. Gender reassignment? Gender reassignment, yeah. Because they were... I believe, now he probably would not say this, this doctor is not a Christian, but I would say they were just pursuing peace and truth in the way that they thought peace and truth should be pursued. But again, we need to be reminded of the scripture that our heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? And the real peace and truth does not come from gender reassignment surgeries or from hormones or pretending to be somebody you're not or someone you're not or a role that you're not Mm -hmm. called to. Um, True peace comes from repentance. True peace comes from walking in obedience um, to the Lord and what he has called you specifically to do. Right. And kind of in the same vein, um, you know, I think there's kind of lesser maybe not quite as stark contrast of like, I'm a woman, but I want to be a man. But what if you're like, well, I'm a woman, but I just don't, I'm not attracted to womanly things. Like I like to hunt and I like to gut fish and I like to, like, I'm just kind of a tomboy. I hate wearing dresses. Yeah. Where, where is, where is that? Where do I fit in here? Cause I feel like being a woman means you like to go get your nails done. You like to sip pumpkin spice lattes in the fall. You like getting your hair done. And I just am not that way. Right. I'm kind of what you would call a tomboy. Like what, I don't know, what do you have to say to those women who are like, I'm just not feminine. And I'm more like a, I'm more like a boy. So what is it really if I just kind of just call myself Colin instead of Karen, or sorry if there's any Karens. Karen is really getting a bad rap. Poor Karen. Poor Karen, I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, that gets into our next question of, is femininity something that we individually define? Now that I know that I'm a woman and I have the right parts, right? Mm -hmm. Biologically, anatomically, I am woman. So, therefore, everything I do from here on out has this femininity infused in it. It doesn't matter how I speak. It doesn't matter what I do. I'm doing what I'm doing as a woman. Therefore, it is feminine. I'm speaking what I'm speaking as a woman. Therefore, it's feminine. Mm-hmm. So you're just oozing. Is that how this works? You're just oozing woman. I'm just oozing. You're like Slimer. Fem- I am the standard. <laughs> and you. You're like feminine Slimer. And you are the standard. And mm-hmm. she is the standard. You know, that we get into this whole other world of subjectivity. And this is really where I think the claws get into Christian women. For sure. It's not quite as um, it's not quite as extreme or as obvious as the question of, am I a woman or am I a man? And and it's a little more subtle. And that's why it's so dangerous. Mm-hmm. And we talked about earlier in the episode, sola scriptura. That is the single rule of faith and practice for all of our life. 
That is the single standard of truth that we compare everything else to. And so God's word is our standard, even in defining femininity. What are we called to and what is it supposed to look like when we're walking in that, in in whatever phase of life we're in? Um, Our preferences and our feelings are not the standard here. And we know why. We touched on this before. Our heart is corrupt. It is deceitful. It is desperately wicked. And in our nature, apart from the intervention of the Holy Spirit, we are rebellious and hostile to God. We're drawn towards the things that are contrary to him. So how could we say, however I'm feeling now with these particular biological anatomical parts is femininity, right? No. Right. Yeah. Our feelings must conform to truth. Right. And must compel us to right action in response to that. Truth is not built on feeling here. And so. um, Right. And, you know, I would just add to that gutting fish, although, yes, men do do it more often than women do, is not inherently. um, Like there's no gender in gutting fish or hunting or camping. Like you're not less of a woman because you like to do those things. (laughs) And that leads into one of the traps that we fall into as women. And that is, again, not comparing ourselves to scripture and instead comparing ourselves to whatever cultural stereotypes are out there. Right. You could be the most girly, fussed up, dolled up, makeuped up girl out there. And you could be the least feminine woman for sure according to <laughs> and according to biblical standards yeah you could be walking in total disobedience mm-hmm. to the roles that god has placed you in mm-hmm. the duties that god has given you and the character that he calls you to in in reflecting him in the way that you're working in that right exactly and i think it's important to know and you kind of touched on it that um those are objective truths about what it means to be a woman, what it doesn't mean to be a woman, and where I think this is where it kind of sprinkles on the church culture, and then our culture has absolutely latched onto it, um, just in the secular world, is what it means to be a woman is to um, be on top of the latest fashion trends, um, to never leave the house without makeup, to drink your pumpkin spice lattes, and getting your bi-weekly mani-pedi, And, like, this is such a cheap stereotype of what a woman actually does. And we have men that think that that's what it means to be a woman. So you have these Bruce Jenners of the world that think, I can be a woman if I emulate these things. And he's just walking around lying to himself, first of all, and lying to to everybody else. Like, that is not what defines femininity. That's not what it defines. That's not what defines uh, womanhood. That's not what it defines um, our roles is the external superficial things, but objective things that God lays out in scripture. So we can't fall into that trap of comparing ourselves or even comparing women in other eras um, as though that they are the standard of what it of what it means to be feminine. Like we can't revert back to the 1950s and be like, now that those were women. Man, they starched the heck out of those white shirts and shoe shined them shoes and, you know, all the things. Or the Victorian era. You know, that like that is not even what we're saying femininity is. That's not what we're saying biblical womanhood is. What we're saying is um, biblical womanhood is um, fulfilling the purpose that God has laid out for you in Scripture and um, working within those parameters and not uh, looking to what culture defines a woman as. Right. And we tend to romanticize those other cultures or other periods in history, other eras, other decades, where there are more distinct differences between the genders in regards to roles and conduct. And so we look at that and we say, there's, there's a more solid line drawn here, and look at how beautiful that is. And there's some truth in that. But again here, we're not comparing 
the gender roles to scripture. We're not comparing the conduct to scripture to say this is feminine. We're, we're just wooed by the fact that in this era of confusion that we live in, somebody is drawing a line somewhere. <laughs> and that's not enough. We compare ourselves to so many wrong things. And there's good news in saying that femininity is an objective thing. For sure. And it can sound a lot like bad news because you know what? If you don't feel like a woman, you need to tell your feelings. Where to shove it. Where to shove it. (laughs) Where to shove it. Yes. You can repent of that. And you can act in a way that is in line with scripture even if you don't feel it. Yeah. And if you, you know, it's just, it's, it's bad news if we don't want to bow the knee and obey Jesus. But femininity is a matter of obedience. Biblical womanhood is a matter of obedience. Imaging God as a woman is to be done intentionally. It's killing sin. It's dying to yourself. It's thinking and feeling and behaving in a way that's consistent with God's own character and his law. When we put our hands to the plow to do the work that's given to us, we image God in a specific way in that work and in the way that we do it. And that may not sound fun, but it is for our good. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, you know, I just, before we go, I wanted to address one other thing. And I think we'll kind of delve on it as a segue to our next episode um, to follow this. But let's just say that you don't really fall in the trap of, you're like, well, yeah, I know I'm a woman and I know what my... Like, I'm comfortable with that. You're not necessarily, like, struggling with, like, your identity and your gender. But you really, and I'm just telling this from, you know, personal experience and seasons that I have gone through, particularly after having babies, and I'm up with them hours on end. But you are envy not of of the opposite person's gender, but of their role. And I just remember thinking, I think it was after my second was born. I remember thinking, and my husband is off to work early in the morning. And I'm thinking, you lucky dog. You get to leave the house. And I have to stay home with these babies. (laughs) I was not in a very good place. I'm a very ugly person postpartum. And really, really envying and coveting his role as a man, as if, like, the weight and burden of providing for your family and for your newborn child and for your wife who is, you know, cut back her work hours so that she can stay home more because that's a value that you and her both decided that um, is important in your family. And... (laughs) It took me a long time. Well, probably a good, well, yeah, <laughs> uh, probably a good three months. I mean, my postpartum blues hit me really hard um, to really um, not do that. But that is also a temptation that we can fall into um, in terms of gender and our roles and our calling. And we'll go more into that in our next episode. But that that is definitely also very sinful, just as much as if you were just like, man, I really wish I was a boy or I really think that God made me the wrong gender or whatever. Like that is just equally as sinful because you are envying, you are coveting, you are making that role as husband, father, provider, um, an idol. Um, And that is to be uh, mortified right quickly. Yeah. So lest you think that you don't struggle with the idea that maybe there's something better for you as far as gender is concerned. Or maybe you weren't meant for the gender role that God has placed you in. If we haven't hit you on every other level, this is definitely one that I am sure Mm -hmm. we all struggle with, is looking at, especially in the culture that we're in now, just thinking about feminism and all the lies that we're told about your worth the power and mm-hmm. almost like supremacy of yep. maleness yep. to the point that women 
in order to be seen or feel equal to men, have to actually deny their own femininity and act like them. Right. It's like so backwards. Yeah. Because it completely devalues femininity mm-hmm. and actually affirms the supremacy of maleness. Right. But there's there is this subtle temptation that is just as grievous and just as troublesome, even though it's it's sneaky and quiet and hidden. And it really reveals itself in when women eye even the pulpit. Absolutely. Or the eldership in the church and envy that because they see it as more powerful. And um, they don't understand why they as women could not hold those roles. Or like Kristen said, looking at your husband and feeling like you got the short end of the stick. It's still this belief that God made a mistake mm-hmm. or that you were meant for something better. Right. And we have to be on guard against this particular sin and this distortion of the truth on all levels as women. So we're going to be diving more into what does scripture say objectively about the roles that women have in the family, in society, in the church, and in different um, stages of life and in different life circumstances. And then beyond that, we'll start to get into and how are we to walk in those duties and in that role. So until next time, go love your God, love your husband, and love your